Thank you so much. And we are here uh, for our first breakout session in the transportation track. Again, thank you to everyone joining us for the general session this morning. And now we are going to talk about safe air travel for passengers and service animals. And our first guests are from the Department of Transportation Office of Aviation Civil Rights. So we're joined by LaVon Chapman, Deputy Assistant General Counsel, Alexander Tade, Director of Civil Rights Advocacy, and Megan Johnson, and Megan, Senior Attorney with the Office of Aviation Civil Rights. So LaVon, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Doing quite well today, Clark. Good afternoon to you. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for you and your team joining us. I'll let you take it from here to talk about uh, what's new and the work that you all are doing at the Department of Transportation. Sure thing, Clark. Uh, it's nice to see you. Uh, thank you for uh, having us here today. Um, for everyone, as Clark noted, my name is LaVon Chapman. I'm the Deputy Assistant uh, General Counsel in the Office of Aviation uh, Consumer Protection at the Department of Transportation. Um, I've been with the department uh, for quite some time now. I've been there for 16 years, um, and I've been with the uh, uh, Office of uh, Aviation Consumer Protection since uh, 2007. Um, as Clark noted with me today are Megan Johnson. She is a senior attorney. She um, uh, has expertise in a lot of different areas, uh, tarmac delays, uh, but I think what uh, folks are gonna be most interested in hearing from her on is uh, the traveling by uh, air with uh, service animals final rule. So I will try my best to get out of her way and uh, just make some, uh, some brief remarks in terms of uh, um, what uh, the office has been working on uh, currently. Um, I do want to note that um, I've been coming to this conference for a number of years. Of course, this is the first virtual year, but um, it's always wonderful to, uh, to be here with this group. I really enjoy working with ACB. I think that um, over the years, we've been able to uh, foster a very good and productive working relationship. And, uh, and some of the things that um, you know, I will talk about here, uh, ACB has been directly in, involved as well. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to continuing that, uh, that, that positive and, and productive relationship that, uh, that we've uh, developed. Uh, just a, as a quick reminder about who we are as an office, uh, many of you uh, may recall our office by our old name. Uh, which was the Office of uh, Aviation Enforcement and Proceedings. Uh, last year, we underwent a uh, office name change uh, in order to uh, better reflect um, the work uh, that the office does. While the office does do uh, enforcement work, um, we really haven't, uh, at least in my time uh, in the office, done anything with respect to aviation-related proceedings. Um, so it was kind of a, a relic of a name, and uh, we thought that uh, Office of Aviation Consumer Protection fit better, and uh, people would uh, understand uh, more easily what it is we actually do here. We are one of seven offices in the Office of the Secretary of Transportation. Um, we're housed in the Office of General Counsel. Uh, we're roughly 30 people, I believe. Uh, Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere around 32 folks now. Um, approximately half of the folks are attorneys in the office and uh, they're responsible for 
uh, the enforcement rulemaking and outreach work um, that the office does. The other half of the office is, um, you know, really the, the workhorse of the office, um, which are transportation uh, industry analysts. They uh, serve as the main face of the office to uh, members of the public. Uh, they interact uh, on a daily basis with uh, members of the public and uh, airlines and provide information and assistance to uh, consumers and investigate consumer complaints. So they, they do quite, uh, quite a bit on that front. And um, I, I think this is a good time, Alex, for you to uh, cut in and, and talk about uh, uh, the complaint process and uh, um, any other information you'd like to provide regarding. All right, thank you, Levon. I, I, I would like to echo what Levon said. It's a pleasure to be here. We've uh, met with you guys many times over the years and um, I enjoy the, the, uh, the chance to come and speak with you and I hope uh, you guys enjoy the time that we, we spend with you. As Levon said, um, we do have a staff of about you know, anywhere between 30 and 34 people. Um, I oversee the analyst half of the staff and we deal with a number of um, consumer related issues, uh, complaints. This year with the, the, the pandemic going on, we have had a kind of change in our um, workload. We've been fielding a lot of consumer complaints in regards to refund issues. Um, so the analysts have been spending a bulk of our time dealing with those types of issues, but that doesn't mean that we haven't been receiving um, disability com related complaints um, as traffic has, air travel has started to pick back up. Um, in the past, the, past 10 years or so, we always receive about 800 to 950 disability-related complaints annually. Um, this year for 2020, um, we hit a low point for the lowest we've been since 2019, uh, 2009, I mean. Um, we've received 528 complaints, disability-related complaints. Now, we do investigate each one. Um, when we do get the complaint, uh, we have the carrier respond to it, respond back to the passenger, give us a copy regarding um, other additional information they may have, passenger's record and any um, notes that might have been filed by flight attendants and, and airline personnel. Uh, we will then investigate the complaints to see whether or not a violation of our Air Carrier Access Act has been violated or not. Once we receive a, uh, once we reach a determination, we will provide the consumer with a copy of that determination as well. Um, in the past, most of the complaints that we receive fall within one of five main categories. We have our top complaint category year in and year out, which is failure to provide timely wheelchair assistance. Then the other cat four categories, which vary based on the year, are failure to provide other assistance, um, service animal issues, um, assistive devices, stowage and delay and damaged issues, as well as seating accommodations. Um, as I said earlier, this has been a rather unusual year, and we have seen a change in those top five. Um, timely wheelchair assistance, assistive devices, and service animals are still in the top five, but due to the um, current situations, and mainly in regards to some of the carrier's um, mask mandate policies, we have seen an uptick in both um, our general miscellaneous um, category, which would cover a number of issues of people complaining about the policy, having to make, wear a mask due to a disability and they couldn't. Um, and in conjunction with that, our um, denial of transportation category. Um, 
Both of those two categories have moved into the top five, replacing timely assistance and seating accommodations. But that is a anomaly in the, in the uh, data just because of the current situations of the year. And as I said before, the majority of them are related to um, the carrier's mass policy. Um, I would expect that in 2021, we will start seeing a uh, revert back to our former um, trends. But what is rather interesting in this year, and it coincides a lot with what we're gonna talk about later on today, is the service animals. The service animal complaints that we received this year has accounted for about 28% of the complaints we received, which has moved into the number one topic. Um, I'm probably gonna expect to see that trend continue as people are getting used to the new service animal rules, but we won't know that until we move further and further into 20, I'm sorry, 2021. All right, Levon. Thanks for that, Alex. That was uh, that was excellent information, and it's actually a good segue into um, the next thing that I want to talk about, which is uh, the department's um, notice of uh, enforcement policy on face masks. Uh, just for planning purposes, uh, after I talk about that briefly, I do want to uh, briefly mention um, the Air Carrier Access Act Advisory Committee, and then uh, talk about a couple of rulemakers before we move on to uh, service animals. Uh, but with respect to the department's uh, enforcement policy on face masks, um, I think um, uh, folks know uh, that uh, on January 29th, the CDC uh, issued an order um, requiring US and foreign uh, air carriers to uh, use their best efforts to ensure that persons on flights to, within, or from the United States uh, wear a mask for the duration of travel, including when boarding and disembarking aircraft. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, the, the Transportation Security Administration uh, issued a security directive to uh, aircraft operators on face mask requirements uh, to imp implement um, both uh, the president's uh, executive order on promoting um, COVID-19 safety on uh, domestic and international travel, uh, as well as uh, to support enforcement of uh, the CDC's order mandating masks. Um, many airlines um, had uh, taken an initiative to require masks uh, of passengers before uh, the, executive the executive order on face masks and uh, the CDC's order. Um, but many of those carriers did not have exemptions for uh, individuals um, with disabilities that <clears throat> could not wear or could not safely wear a uh, face mask on a commercial aircraft. And so the department issued um, an enforcement policy um, that was aimed at reminding airlines of their legal obligation to accommodate the needs of passengers with disabilities when developing procedures um, to implement uh, the federal mandate on the U.S. and to describe how the uh, office will determine whether airlines are complying with the requirements of uh, the Air Carrier Access Act and Part 382 when implementing procedures requiring uh, mask wearing by passengers. The notice uh, makes clear that airline policies that expressly allow uh, no exceptions to the mask requirement other than for children under the age of two um, violate the Air Carrier Access Act. Um, the notice explains that uh, children uh, under two are exempted on the basis that they cannot wear or safely wear a mask. 
and that it would be a violation of the Air Carrier Access Act not to have an exemption for the limited number of individuals with disabilities who similarly cannot wear or safely wear a mask uh, when there's no evidence that uh, these individuals with disabilities would pose a greater risk to others uh, than children under two. Um, the mask, uh, the notice uh, explains further that uh, every passenger is a potential carrier of the virus and the department's disability regulation allows airlines to impose reasonable conditions restrictions or requirements on a passenger with a disability um, who is unable to wear or safely wear a mask. Um, some examples um, that are outlined in the notice uh, of the restrictions that airlines may impose include requiring passengers to consult with the airline's medical expert or providing uh, medical evaluation documentation from the pa passenger's doctor to determine if the passenger has a recognized medical condition that would preclude the uh, wearing or safe wearing of a mask uh, or requiring protective measures such as a negative test result um, from a, a COVID test or um, sitting the, uh, the passenger in a less crowded section of, of uh, the aircraft. Um, the notice gives airlines a period of up to 45 days to uh, bring their policies uh, into compliance uh, with the Air Carrier Access Act. Um, and so uh, airlines are uh, in the process of uh, doing so. I do want to briefly mention the uh, Air Carrier Access Act Advisory Committee, which uh, ACB has uh, provided very valuable input on. Um, I mentioned it last year. It was established pursuant to uh, the FAA Reauthorization Act of uh, 2018. Um, it consists of uh, representatives of passengers with disabilities, airlines, airports, and others, and is tasked with uh, assessing, um, identifying and assessing, among other things, the disability-related access barriers encountered by passengers with disabilities. Uh, there was a lot of work that was poured into that advisory committee last year. Uh, the first meeting was held in March of last year and beginning in July, um, there were three subcommittees that began a meeting dealing with issues related to ticketing practices and seating accommodations, uh, stowage of assistive devices and assistance at airports and on aircraft and related training of carrier personnel and contractors. Um, the subcommittees met um, from July all the way through to uh, December and uh, the work continues. Uh, um, reports are being um, put together and uh, will be presented at uh, the next uh, full advisory committee meeting um, when, when those work reports are um, completed. The uh, next meeting has not yet been scheduled, but it will happen um, this year. Uh, just quickly on, on rulemakings other than service animals, um, we, are, um, we still have on the books a um, second accessible labs uh, rulemaking that was on the, uh, uh, the agenda. Uh, we issued a NPRM um, in December of last year that would uh, that proposed specific measures for improving accessibility of laboratories on single-aisle aircraft, um, which would include uh, changes to the interior of the laboratory um, and additional services that uh, airlines would provide with respect to laboratory access, training and improvements. The Part Two rule. Uh, would solicit comment and gather updated information on the costs and benefits of requiring airlines to make laboratories 
on new single aisle aircraft large enough equivalent to that uh, that are currently found on twin aisle aircraft. Um, I should note that um, with any new administration that comes in, there is generally a period of time that the administration uh, will take to review um, rulemakings. Um, so this rulemaking, the second rulemaking is one, uh, actually both of these rulemakings um, would be subject to uh, the administration's review um, and um, the administration will make a determination as to what next steps um, uh, would be taken uh, with respect to these. Um, one last rulemaking that I wanted to uh, mention is a rulemaking that um, would amend Part 382 to clarify an airline's responsibility to provide prompt assistance to passengers with disabilities who request assistance moving within the airport. Um, the, uh, the rule, Part 382, um, clearly states that prompt um, assistance must be provided with respect to end planning and deplaning. planning, um, but the word prompt does not appear in the moving um, within the terminal uh, provisions of the rule, although the department has interpreted that rule to require prompt assistance, and this rule would make that, uh, that clear. So with that, I will stop and I will pass it over to Megan. Uh, to talk about the uh, traveling by air with service animals final rule. Megan? Hi, um, as LaVon said, I am just going to give you a quick overview of the provisions in the uh, traveling by air with service animals final rule, uh, which was published in the Federal Register on December 10th, 2020, and became effective on January 11th. 2021. Um, a service animal under the new rule is a dog, regardless of breed or type, that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of a qualified individual with a disability, including a physical, sensory, psychiatric, intellectual, or other mental disability. Um, as you'll note, this definition is very similar to the uh, DOJ's ADA definition of of a service animal, but um, the one key difference in the ACAA different definition is that we include explicit language um, to make clear that a service animal is a dog regardless of breeder type. So what about emotional support animals? I think that's probably the number one question we've gotten since um, the rule has been issued. Um, airlines are no longer required to recognize emotional support animals as service animals, and airlines cannot treat them as pets. Um, but we've encouraged those folks who are still interested in traveling with emotional support animals to check uh, airline pet policies. Um, some airlines may not, may not transport pets at all. Some transport pets for a fee or only in the cabin or in the cargo hold. So um, that's what we've been telling those folks. Um, as far as miniature horses, um, I wanted to make clear here that um, under the department's ACAA rule, um, miniature horses do not qualify as service animals. Um, dogs are the only animal species that qualify as service animals. Um, and I really wanted to make that point because while DOJ's ADA service animal regulations require covered entities to recognize miniature horses as a reasonable modification, the ACAA definition of a service animal only requires airlines to recognize dogs, no other species. So no miniature horses, rabbits, cats, birds, or other animal species. 
Uh, how does an airline determine if a dog is a service animal? Well, there's a few ways. Uh, the airline can ask two questions, and these questions are, again, very similar to the questions that uh, entities covered under the ADA regulation um, can ask. Uh, the first question is, is the animal required to accompany the service animal user because of a disability? And the second question, what work or task has the animal been trained to perform? Another way that an airline can find out if an animal is a service animal is to observe the animal's behavior. Service animals shouldn't be running around. Um, they must be trained to behave properly and must be under their handler's control. And finally, um, the airline can take note of physical indicators such as harnesses, leashes, vests, um, service animals, Airlines can now require that service animals be harnessed, leashed, or tethered at all times on the aircraft um, and in, in, area, in air carrier controlled spaces and at the airport. How many service animals can a handler bring on the aircraft? Airlines are not required to accept more than two service animals per passenger with a disability. Where can service animals sit on aircraft? Airlines can require that a service animal fit on the passenger's lap and or in the passenger's foot space without encroaching onto another passenger space. If a passenger travels with two service animals, both must fit in the passenger's lap or in the and or in the passenger's foot space on the floor. So we got a lot of questions in the, uh, with respect to this provision in the NPRM and uh, folks wanted to know what can the airline do if a service animal encroaches onto another passenger space. Uh, we included language in the final rule to clarify that airlines cannot automatically refuse to transport a service animal that doesn't fit on a passenger's lap or in the passenger's foot space. Before refusing to transport a large service animal or two service animals that encroach onto another passenger space, an airline must first um, offer the passenger the opportunity to transport the animal in the cargo hold, see if there are some other or see if there's some other area on the aircraft that the service animal can fit uh, next to an empty seat perhaps, or next to a passenger who's willing to share their space, or um, as a last alternative, offer the passenger the opportunity to fly on a flight, uh, on a later flight with more space. When it comes to documentation, um, there are two forms that airlines are permitted to now require uh, from service animal users, a U.S. Department of Transportation Service Animal Air Transportation form and a U.S. Department of Transportation Service Animal Relief Attestation form, which only applies to flights that are eight hours or more. So the first form airlines can require on any flight, but the second, the relief attestation only applies to flights that are eight or more hours. There is one exception to this uh, general rule. Uh, forms that are required to comply with requirements from federal agencies, U.S. territories, or foreign jurisdictions such as Hawaii's uh, service or Hawaii's animal permit requirements uh, may be required in order for a service animal to enter into a particular jurisdiction. Service animal users should always fill out the form as truthfully as possible. We, we have gotten some questions about certain fields on the service animal forms. Um, and we do make note on the form that there is a, um, a warning uh, that uh, false information would be considered a federal crime. 
if the airline has reason to suspect fraud, that someone is fraudulently filling out the form, the airline can report it to DOT along with an explanation of the reported fraud and DOT will refer it to um, our Office of the Inspector General for investigation and prosecution. Um, we don't anticipate receiving a lot of claims of fraud at DOT, at DOT. Um, as we explained in the preamble to the final rule, the, the, the circumstances that we think that would uh, elicit uh, these fraud investigations would occur when a service animal has caused severe injury to a person or animal and the case in the area, the air carrier in that instance would likely claim fraud, uh, probably disputing the animal's training. With respect to the service animal air transportation form, um, service animal users are asked to attest that their animal's vaccinations are current. Veterinarian attestations are not required. Um, that was something that was proposed in the NPRM. And again, um, the only person who may be required to fill out the service animal air transportation form is the handler or the service animal user. The form also asks service animal users to attest to the fact that the animal has been trained and provide the name and contact information of the trainer. Acknowledge that the user understands that they may be charged for any damage caused by their service animal, so long as airlines charge passengers without disabilities to repair similar kinds of damage. Um, the purpose of the form is uh, to both educate passengers on what to expect of a service animal with respect to the animal's behavior and to seek service animal users' assurances that they understand these expectations. Um, we received a lot of questions about the trainer field on the form. Um, service animal users should, again, fill out the form as truthfully as possible, but I did want to clarify that service animal users, um, some do self-train their animals, and uh, for those folks who do self-train their animals, just be prepared to answer questions from the airline um, about what work or task the animal has been trained to perform. With respect to the service animal attestation or relief attestation, again, I just want to uh, reiterate that airlines can only require this form for flights that are eight or more hours. And on this form, service animal users are asked to describe how their animal will refrain from relieving itself or how it will relieve itself in a sanitary manner. And acknowledge that, again, that the service animal user may be responsible for damage caused by their service animal, so long as the animal, or sorry, so long as the airline charges passengers without disabilities to repair similar kind of damage. So where can passengers find the DOT service animal forms? Airlines that require the DOT service animal forms must make them available on their website in an accessible format. The forms must be on the airline's primary website and conform to the WCAG 2.0 AA requirements. U.S. airlines must also have copies of the forms available for passengers at each airport they serve, and foreign carriers must have copies of the forms available for passengers at each airport serving a flight that begins or ends at a U.S. airport. The department has also posted sample accessible version, PDF versions of the forms on its website. You can find that at www.transportation.gov forward slash air consumer. Um, but I will note that while the DOT forms are fillable uh, PDF versions, the form should be submitted to directly to the airlines and not to DOT. We have had that question come up since the rule has um, been in place. So another question that we received is how 
um, frequently can airlines request the, or require these forms from passengers. Airlines cannot require DOT forms each time the passenger uh, flies. Airlines can only require the DOT forms on a per trip basis. So the first flight on the passenger's reservation. So not the departing and arriving flight, but just the on the departure flight. Um, if it's one reservation or one ticket. Um, can airlines require passengers to submit DOT forms in advance? So this depends for reservations that are made more than 48 hours before the flight, airlines can require forms in advance or at the passenger's gate. But if a passenger doesn't provide the forms in advance, we, st we still let the airlines know in the rule that airlines must try to accommodate the passenger by making reasonable efforts without delaying the flight. For reservations that are made less than 48 hours before the flight, airlines cannot require DOT forms in advance. Airlines can require the form at the passenger's gate. Can an airline require a passenger to physically check in at the airport to check DOT forms rather than using online check-in available to the general public? The answer to that question is no. Airlines may not require passengers to physically check in at the airport to review service animal forms. Although the airline may require a passenger traveling with the service animal to check in at the airport for other reasons, not related to trans transporting the service animal, like if you're flying on a standby flight or something like that, or to get a seating assignment. But airlines, again, are not required to pass to require that the passenger physically check in in order to check the forms. Um, I also want to note here, uh, we've received this question about whether airlines can require passengers to check in at the gate at a certain time. Airlines are also not permitted to require a service animal user to show up at the gate before the time that other passengers on the flight are required to be at the gate in order to check DOT forms. So we want to make that clarification as well. Are airlines required to assist passengers with completing their forms, the DOT forms? Um, yes. Airlines must assist passengers at the airport who need assistance with completing DOT service animal forms so long as the assistance would not constitute an undue burden or fundamentally alter the airline's program. So the big question, when can an airline refuse to transport a service animal? Four circumstances. The animal poses a direct threat to the health or safety of others. The animal is disruptive in the cabin or at the gate. The animal's carriage would violate a U.S. or foreign law, or current DOT forms were not provided to the airline as required. When an airline refuses to transport an animal, uh, must the airline provide conduct an individualized assessment? An airline must always conduct an individualized assessment when deciding whether to deny a service animal on the basis that the animal poses a direct threat or is misbehaving. Before denying tra transport to a service animal, the airline should see if there are other means available short of refusal that would mitigate the problem. For instance, if the animal is barking constantly, um, the these, uh, airline can potentially suggest that the passenger do something like muzzle the animal in order to mitigate the problem so that the animal can continue to fly and automatically, instead of automatically denying that animal transportation. And what must an airline do if 
it denies transport to a service animal. Again, this is similar to the old service animal rule. Airlines must provide a service animal user with a statement explaining why it refused to transport the service animal within 10 calendar days of the refusal. So that's just a quick overview of the service animal rule and we'll open it up to questions. Keisha, you can unmute. Hi, um, thank you for being here. I just had a really quick question. Um, you mentioned that airlines are required to help people fill out their DOT forms um, at the airport if they need it. Um, so what is defined as an un uh, a burden on the airline and who defines that? Is DOT defining that or are the airlines defining that based on uh, individual um circumstances so if i'm if i need somebody to actually write down the answers for me because i'm blind would that be a burden and would they be then allowed to refuse to help me fill out the forms sure that's an excellent question um so i think undue burden um would be uh assessed on a, a case-by-case basis if you for instance showed up at the airport um maybe 10, 15 minutes before your flight and wanted to assistance with filling out the form, that might be a circumstance where an airline might justly be able to claim that it might be, um, it must disrupt, it might disrupt their airport operations by trying to assist in filling out the forms. So I think, again, um, th those, that analysis is going to need to be done on a case-by-case -case basis, but if you believe that you, you know, there, there was no, there were no, um, issues that inhibited the carrier from helping you fill out the form and but you were refused to that assistance anyway um we would encourage you to then you know file a complaint with our office so that we can further investigate that issue thank you okay melody brenson you should be able to unmute thank you um i want to talk too about the forms um i've been hearing from several people that the forms are not fillable with a screen reader. Um, different screen readers, different um, web browsers being used, but in both of the cases that I'm aware of, very capable computer users who fill out online forms all the time. So I would like to clarify that um, the DOT is expecting airlines to provide um, a form that can be filled out independently by a blind person using a screen reader? Um, the rule itself does not require that the forms be fillable online. Um, we have encouraged airlines to, um, actually we've been encouraging airlines to um, adopt some web-based version of the form so that folks can use their mobile devices to fill out the forms because we've been told that that's actually the easiest uh, way for or the easiest me medium for folks to fill out the forms uh, because many people book their air transportation on um, their mobile devices and even the PDF form that uh, DOT produced, which um, we, we worked hard to ensure the accessibility and fill and and fill availability of um, can be difficult depending on whether or not a person is using a mobile device. But uh, we, so we're told that web-based platforms are actually the best way 
in order for folks to fill out the forms. Um, but uh, but the rule does not itself say state that the forms have to be fillable. Um, it states that the forms have to be available on the website in an accessible format. But if you can't fill out the form, how is it accessible? I mean, if you have to get a sighted person to fill it out for you, it seems to me that that's a, um, a lack of accessibility. If you don't have readily available um, a person to help you do that, but you want to travel. So our um, website accessibility uh, regulations in 14 CFR Part 382 um, require that airlines with primary websites um, ensure that their web pages and the page and the documents on their websites are WCAG 2.0 AA accessible. So that's what we um, that's the standard we're holding airlines to with respect to the service animal forms. Thank you. Area code 508, you should be able to unmute. Hello, my name is Jane Perry and I'm from Falmouth, Massachusetts on Cape Cod. And I used to travel extensively before the pandemic. My concern is when they assist me as a health, former healthcare professional, they don't change their gloves. That's a very big sore subject with me. And I don't know how we can rectify it. Hello, the last time I traveled, I wore my own gloves. My second question is, um, I travel with a CPAP machine and my iPad, and I was wondering if it's okay the next time I travel because they touch these things, can I embrace them in some sort of cellophane wrap or a baggie? And my last question is, um, when I travel, the placard is not in Braille. I mean, it isn't Braille. I don't read Braille. And I know a lot of older people travel, and I think it should be either in large print or what they normally do, which I have a really good rapport sometimes, and sometimes I have a problem, is they come and they explain to me how can they assist me. My last question is how can we get in touch with you if we have a problem or a complaint? Thank you very much. LaVon or Alex? Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was uh, trying to unmute here. Thank you uh, very much for, uh, for those questions. Those are really interesting questions. I want to answer the last one first. Um, if you need to get in touch with us, um, we do have a, a disability hotline that is staffed during normal business hours um, by uh, the team lists uh, in our office. Alex, do you have that phone number handy? Yes, it's 1-800-778-4838. Uh, Alex, and if it's would you mind giving that again, please? Yes, 1-800-778-4838. Four, eight, three, eight. Okay. Um, so uh, I think the first question that you asked is about uh, the individuals that are providing assistance that aren't changing their gloves in between um, providing assistance to individuals. I think uh, that's something that if you're experiencing a, a situation with, with service in that regard, um, you may want to reach out to uh, the airline's complaint resolution official to see how uh, that can be resolved. There aren't any regulations that DOT has that specifically address um, the use of gloves by uh, individuals that are providing assistance. But um, I would imagine that that's something that uh, the airline uh, would have an interest in ensuring that their uh, passengers are um, uh, safe. 
So uh, that, that's something that I would suggest that you reach out to uh, the airline complaints resolution official. Uh, they're required to uh, make one available to you um, at all times that the airline is operating at a given airport, either in person or by telephone. And uh, they, they are an excellent resource um, for uh, accessibility related issues um, that, that make um, well uh, the airline or its contractors are providing assistance. Um, the last, the, the other question that you asked was with regard to whether or not you can put your CPAP or iPad in, in, in a, a baggie of, of some sort. Um, th there would be nothing in uh, any of the regulations that, um, that we enforce that would preclude you from doing that. Um, that may be something that um, uh, you might want to reach out either to the airline or to uh, the Transportation Security Administration uh, and ask that question specifically of them, but there would be nothing that would preclude you from doing that on uh, Part 382 of the Air Carrier Access. And I think I answered all your questions. Did, did, I, did I get all your questions? I muted her, I'm sorry. Thank you, LaVon. And I know I, got, I received one question, this is Clark, uh, prior to our session today, and probably a question for Megan. Are airlines allowed to limit the number of service animals within the air cabin or within a specific class of service while flying? That, thank you. That's another great question. Um, while airlines can limit service to uh, the number of service animals per passenger, an airline cannot limit the number of service animals on the aircraft or in the cabin or in a particular class of service. All right, thank you. And unfortunately, we are coming near the end. I'm sure, Linda, we still have a bunch of hands oh, yes. <laughs> still raised. And I would encourage folks to email your questions to advocacy at acb.org. And if it's all right with our panelists, once we get some of those questions, uh, if we need your assistance, I'd be happy to follow up with you all uh, following this event. And if, if folks are listening, either on ACB radio or online, feel free to either email us at advocacy at acb.org or leave them in the comments or tweet at us using the hashtag ACBleadership21. So LaVon Chapman, Alex Tade, and Megan Johnson, thank you so much for your time here at the ACB Legislative Seminar. Certainly our pleasure, Clark. And yes, in answer to your question, you certainly may um, reach out to us with uh, whatever questions you or anyone else in your mind. And folks, we'll take a, a quick five minute transition here. Coming up next is our panel with airline industry representatives.